Welcome to Rock Solid Ministries Frontline Servants Program where we visit with men and women on the front lines of kingdom service. For more information about our free revival ministry or to explore more of our audio and video recordings, visit our website at rocksolidministries.org. Again, that's rocksolidministries.org. Today, we're visiting with evangelist Jim Book preacher at First Christian Church in Kissimmee, Florida. Jim and I have been social media friends for a number of years, but I've never had a chance to sit down and visit with, uh, with him as just one-on-one as brothers and co-workers in Christ. And Jim, I, I want to tell you, I've enjoyed your articles in Restoration Herald uh, through the years, admired your work that you're involved in here in Florida, and I hope we'll have time for you to share that, a little bit more about that kingdom work that you're involved in. But first, I'd like to learn more about your spiritual journey. So, Brother Jim, tell us your story. All right. Well, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I've got a brother and a sister. My sister is the principal here of our Christian school. We have a kindergarten through eighth grade program, 162 students, so I'm blessed to have her as my principal. Uh, my brother's retired deputy sheriff from Orange County, Florida, right up uh, the county right next to us. So he's retired up in North Carolina. But I, uh, we all grew up in a Christian home. My dad was a preacher for years. His name is John Book. His dad, Morris Butler Book, was a preacher in Orlando. In fact, started the very first independent Christian church, Pull Out of the Disciples, in the 50s. And his dad, William Henry Book, was a preacher at the big church in Columbus, Indiana. So I'm the fourth generation of preachers. Wow. Yeah, blessed. blessed. I, I knew you were like, uh, at least a second generation yeah, from well, some of you're right. They, they bound, bound in rawhide and all hard to close is how they define the book <laughs> book boys. But they, our, our family's been in the restoration movement um, all our lives. And uh, uh, Morris Book's half-brother uh, was, um, was also a preacher and was the editor of the uh, Restoration Herald for years. Um, so we, we've had some, uh, some, some preachers in our family. So uh, we're, we're, we're blessed. So, how old were you when you when you made your decision to follow Christ? Well, I decided to be a preacher when I was three. So my, <laughs> my parents my parents gave me a little pulpit when I was about three or four years old, and I'd stand behind it and preach. And uh, wow. so I made a decision to go into ministry at the age of three or four. I was baptized at age twelve. Yeah. Decided to be a preacher. I wanted to have a Christian school and be a preacher. And so I graduated in nineteen eighty two from high school, went to Bible college, graduated in nineteen eighty seven, and have been preaching ever since. So where did you go to school? I went to Florida Christian College, okay. which is now Johnson University of Florida. And I, as soon as I graduated, they asked me to work at the college. So for seven years, I was director of recruitment. Met my wife. We got married. I went to First Christian Church in Winter Park, which was my first preaching ministry in 1994, and was there for 17 years. Uh, when Kissimmee Christian Church opened up, Ross Pepper preached here for 30 years. Dear friend of mine said, Jim... I want you to apply. I was like, I don't want to follow you after 30 years. He goes, no, go ahead. I think you can. I never it. met him, but I've, I've heard of him. He's a great I, guy. I know he'd be a hard, he, a hard he fellow. I mean, he did a solid job here. So we went ahead and applied. My wife and I actually attended here when we worked for the college up the street, and I've been here 11 years. So I've had two located ministries, one 17 years, this one 11. So I've been wow. blessed. Blessed. That two is, good churches. That is great. And yeah. now... Uh, I mentioned a while ago you write for the Restoration Herald. Yeah, for about the last 14 years, I've been writing uh, monthly articles for the Restoration Herald. I love doing that because it makes me study, it makes me research, and it's given me an opportunity to meet a lot of great people. And I'm indebted to Lee and now John for, for keeping me on board. And I'm actually on the board of trustees now with CRA, which is a great great group of guys, great ministries, you know. So right. I've been married for 31 years, coming up March 23rd. we got three girls 
Uh, Emily is 27. She works for the Marriott Hotel. So she lives up in uh, Maitland, which is a suburb of Orlando, but she's at our house all the time. She's on our praise team here. My daughter, Macy, got married a year ago Saturday. Her husband's a police officer in Plainfield. I saw the pictures. And now he's yeah. a corporal, and they <laughs> go to the Plainfield Church of Christ. And yeah. uh, my youngest daughter is 17. She's a senior, and uh, she's on in the youth group on the praise team here. And uh, she'll graduate in a few few weeks. So we're blessed. Three wonderful girls. Love the Lord. Serving the Lord. So we're blessed. Well, you also, uh, you speak a lot around the country. A little bit. <laughs> Probably yeah. my elders would say too much, but they've been very gracious. Well, uh, you're, you're, you said you're flying out tomorrow. So that's I do fly that's out. why we wanted to stop by Thank today. I'll head out to Dayton and I'll be at the Monroe Church of, uh, Monroe Church of Christ. No, Lifeway Christian Church in Monroe, Ohio for a few days. And then mm-hmm. we'll fly in and then drive to Tri-State and speak at the men's conference at our Christian churches in the Panhandle and then turn right back around and be back Saturday night because next Sunday we got four services we got to knock out here. Four services. Four services. So that's four services in English. That's four in English. And then we got a Spanish service. Tom Martinez leads our Spanish group. Brother Roth leads 130 Haitians. Wow. And 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 then we got Brother Andre who leads our Portuguese. And they all work under the eldership here. So it's not like we rent it out to these language groups. These preachers all work on, with me under the eldership here. So Best uh, way. Yeah, it is, because uh, we want to make sure the message is clear. It's New Testament, and these guys are incredible. But what they're doing is they're reaching people in their language using our facility. We give them the best of everything we have, so it's not second rate. Um, but upstairs, our Portuguese, and our gym is our Haitian. Downstairs, our fellowship centers are Spanish, and we're in the auditorium. And is it all simultaneous? Yes. Awesome. Uh, well, I do an 830 with the homeless in the gym. Right. We set out tables. We have a praise team. I preach. Then we feed them, and then I come in and do the 9.30 in the sanctuary and 11 o'clock in the sanctuary and the 5 o'clock in the fellowship hall. But 11, all four language groups are going on simultaneously. It is the day of Pentecost every Sunday here. We really have <laughs> the day of Pentecost. Everything has to be in four languages, signs, information, and uh, child care is always interesting because our children's minister pulls her hair out. She's like, i got three kids and they don't know anything. <laughs> which group are they from I, anyway so it's always a challenge but it's a good one it's a yeah. great one and god's blessed us too tom our i mean the covid has hit everybody but we have rebounded um we had 1600 two weeks ago now that's with our online and our language groups and our english and our homeless but god's blessed us we've had some real some huge rebound and i'm grateful for that well i'm, I'm curious about the, the homeless service i knew yeah. you had that mm-hmm. And and I realize having held a number of revivals at East Tampa, and yes. they, they reach out to the homeless. That's and, a great church, and they do and, a great job with it. And that. Uh, they uh, they have a Tuesday service, uh-huh. and uh, a lot of the homeless will not go into the auditorium Correct. because they 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 don't feel like they're worthy to go in the auditorium. Right. And and the church has invited them. Uh, they won't even they don't won't even come to a Tuesday service that was held in there. At least before COVID, that's the way it was, and and. Uh, so that's the way to reach them, and they and they have through the years got some to translate in and become Sunday worshipers with them, and they baptize them there. But does this ever happen yes, here, Tom? That is such a great point. When I first got here, we didn't have it, and I noticed within a few weeks there's an uncomfortableness. You have people who haven't showered in a week coming in the sanctuary, and they know they know they haven't showered. They know they're a mess, disheveled bringing bags and all kinds of paraphernalia. Then you have your family of four. We call your traditional family of four. 
they're uncomfortable because they don't know this guy from Adam. He's carrying a bunch of bags. And he looks like he's kind of a seedy looking guy. And then they're trying to save the kid. And I said, okay, why don't we do this? I told our elders, why don't we put political correctness off to the side and this woke nonsense? And let's just be transparent. The homeless guy feels uncomfortable coming in because he knows, you know, everybody here looks kind of achy. I'm putting quotations up, normal. (laughs) The normal people know they're supposed to love everybody unconditionally, but it's a weird feeling. Why don't we tell the homeless, you all have needs that we can't meet in this sanctuary. First of all, you, you probably need to have a bathroom that you can go to and not feel uncomfortable. You, you need to be fed physically right. and spiritually. We can't feed you at the 930. So we created a separate service. And I said, look, why don't you come to this one? We can love on you more. We can meet your needs more. We can encourage you, counsel you more. And they're like, thank you. Everybody was happy. So what we do is we roll out at 830 breakfast that we have a praise team that leads them in worship. I'll preach. I share the responsibility with a couple of our deacons and our associates uh, and then we we preach we lead an invitation we serve the lord's supper to the baptized believers and then we feed them all a hot meal we bring our we have a different crew come in every every sunday early and cook and then we have our networkers talking to them about job opportunities and helping them through then we we put them through celebrate recovery on monday nights uh we baptized a guy a uh, homeless guy two weeks ago he's on his on his feet getting off the drugs getting into now a, a lifestyle that's different from where he used to live, he comes to our Celebrate Recovery Monday because we want to make sure that he's working on his spiritual growth. And then on Tuesdays, we go to the streets. One of our deacons leads a street ministry where we're down in the streets feeding, counseling, praying. We have probably baptized uh, two or three over the last two weeks from our 830 service. Wow. And it's just been incredible to see the, the mental, spiritual, emotional recovery. Uh, we have a lady who was on the streets 10 years ago. She's finishing up her college degree in business in a home, working full-time. She was on the streets. I think her boyfriend shot her husband. It was a mess. Full oh. recovery. We had a lady who was sleeping behind Burger King, got her a job. She's now gainfully employed, baptized, and goes to her apartment every night. You know, you hit on something there about you you, you preach, you, you bring them in, you feed them, mm-hmm. but you don't just feed them or clothe them, you give them the gospel. Absolutely. And a lot of times our, we think, well, we've done our job if we give some money to a homeless person. Our job is to, is to win the lost. Absolutely. And, and you see that. And when you said, and I give an invitation, you and I, before the program started, we're, we're discussing that, how many people don't do that. Yes. And uh, our associate, Brother Greg, and I did a, a program on our YouTube channel uh, during the six weeks that we kind of had to close down during COVID because everybody else was shifting their dates with us, uh, uh, called Decision Time in the Ministry and the importance of never thinking you know your listeners. Right. Even in the smallest of churches. Right. Uh, you don't know. Uh, I, I shared the gospel one time, gave an invitation, thought I knew everybody, right. and one of my deacons came up. Wow. One of my deacons came up, and he said, you know... I don't think I really was baptized right. <laughs> and he was deacon when I went there. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't right. know. And, and his life changed. The life of the church changed after that. And well, you know what? I, well, if, if, if we don't ask, we don't receive. Now I, I jokingly say, I know why some churches don't offer invitations. The sermon lacked Bible. It lacked unction. It lacked spirit. I wouldn't have offered an invitation either because the sermon was so pathetic. But if you're right. preaching the scriptures and the truth, Right. You're laying the gospel out there. You ought to give people an opportunity to respond. 
And we have found, even at the 830 service, we don't want to end that message without a call to change. So get this, Tom. I was leading, a, I preached one Sunday, led an invitation, guy walked up. And he had been coming for four years, but he decided to step forward that Sunday. So I looked at him and said, I can ask you a question. You've been coming here every Sunday for four years. Why did you just now decide to come forward? He goes, I'm ready to give my life to Christ. And he had, you know, he had had a problem with alcohol. He was on the streets. So we said, okay, everybody, as soon as we finish the invitation, we're going to go ahead and eat, and then we're all going to go in the auditorium, and we're going to baptize this gentleman. So we did. And uh, I got his baptismal certificate printed up uh, Monday. Um, Tuesday, he was hit and killed by a car. Right up wow. here on 441, uh, about uh, two miles from this building. And I use his example. I carry his baptismal certificate in my Bible everywhere I go because it's a reminder. And I tell people, when Jesus is now is the hour of salvation, he meant it. Yes. You know, if we had not done an invitation him, I don't know that he would have, he would have you know, said, come forward, had we not put that plea out. But, man, I tell our elders and I tell our church, because this church had a vision to reach the hurting, the homeless, the dis disengaged, that man will be in heaven. Had he not had this opportunity, I don't, scriptures wouldn't have promised him eternal life. So, hey, look, the reality is churches have got to think outside themselves. We talk about externally focused ministries all the time. Not at the expense of internally focused ministries, discipling people, teaching people, training people. But we've got to start regurgitating this information that we've been feeding on for the last 50 years. We have right. people in the church that have more Bible knowledge than the Apostle Paul, but they've never led one person to Christ. That's right. So externally yeah. focused ministries are the key, I think, to substantiating our existence and creating a passion in our people again. And, you know, I challenge people in a revivals all the time. If your church closed today, how long would it take the town to know it closed? Or better yet, did they even know we're open? You know, just come, came to mind an old, an old saying, if you're reaching out, you don't have time to fall out. Correct. And and so many churches fall out because it's, I want this, I want that. And uh, I've seen my own home church, I, I believe, died, which was one time the largest church in the Mid-South, mm -hmm. died because it turned its focus, it had been outward for years yes. for evangelism, yes. turned its focus inward and imploded. They do. And it took them, a few, it took them some years to do it, but they finally, they, they, they just... They lost their reason to exist. Yes. And when it comes to the invitation, my listeners are, are going to get tired of hearing this, but I'm going to say it again in case we've got preachers listening, I believe we do, that if we don't give an invitation, we don't believe what we just preached. Right. And it's not about challenging people. Uh, I'm, I'm fond of saying it in revivals uh, and, and praying in revivals that it's not, I don't want you to go out and say I was challenged. I want you to go out and say I was changed. Correct. That's what the Word of God Correct. does. And if if we don't expect that change, then why are we in the pulpit in the first place? I agree. And I think, Tom, it may come back to the reality is many preachers don't offer an invitation because they haven't been challenged through the week with the message they just wrote. Right. And if you're not challenged with the stuff you just wrote, I'm not surprised that you're not going to expect your audience to be challenged. So therefore, right. let's end it and go home and forget it. Man, if you preach with the unction of Peter... You can't wait to get to the invitation because you're expecting, you're expecting results, right? I had a I had a minister tell me out. I don't want to say what. Well, I'll say it was in South Dakota, because it's been far enough back, mm -hmm. you know, uh, that uh, I was working on getting the invitation taken care of when we got there on Saturday, and he said we only do one verse. They're going to make a decision. They're going to make a decision in one verse, and I said, well, sometimes they're just getting 
They're just standing up. Mm -hmm. It's a revival. Let's mm -hmm. try to do at least two verses. <laughs> you know, I'll just do one. Well, Sunday morning, they started coming down, and and that took care of that. And yeah. uh, he didn't know hardly what to do. So we got quite a few verses in the right. rest of the week. We right. went ahead and did that. But if you don't expect, you say, well, they're going to come, they're going to come, and if not, they're not. And, would... <laughs> and sometimes people make a decision where they're standing. They're already Christians. Right. But they, they need that time to, to, to think through what they thought about Correct. and say, okay, Lord, while people are singing right. a, a song that touches their heart as well, all right, this is what I'm going to do, Lord. Right. And and they don't always have to. We do revivals where nobody walks forward. Mm -hmm. We do revivals where 100 walk forward. Right. But it's the decision. It's the change that's happening in their lives. Right. So, Absolutely. So uh, we, we had an opportunity two or three years ago to visit your worship services. And... Uh, uh, it was it, it was wonderful. It was a, it was a great service, uh, and I'm not uh, uh, that has nothing to do with the with the style of singing or anything else. It has to do with the fact that I got preached to. <laughs> Can I just say that I got preached to? I, I, I get very few Sundays off, right? And I, I hate going and getting a history lesson <laughs> and, and told, well, there you are, go home. Right. You know, I I, I know this history. Uh, sometimes I do learn. A little, it's not that I know everything. I, I learn something, but I, I I want to I want to be challenged to change something in my life. Right. And I do appreciate that very well, much. Thank you. Thank you. So uh, now the multiple services did they all come about at one time? How did? Good question. When they were doing two, when I got here, we were doing um, two, and 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 this is not this. I don't want to say something disparaging. They were doing a Saturday night when I was being interviewed. So I went to the elders and I said, look, I'm all for doing a PM service because we have a lot of people working in what I call the, the uh, well, not I call, they're the service industry. Right, shift, from, shift workers. Yeah, right. we're 20 minutes from Disney, Universal, hotels everywhere. So a lot of service industry people working here and they just can't get here at 9.30 or 11 or certainly at our 8.30, which is pretty, that, that's really a designated service to the hurting or homeless, but anybody can go to it. But so I said to the elders, I want to bring back the old Sunday night service. We can still meet the needs of the of the service industry people. I just I just struggle with the whole Saturday night concept. From right. my, um, I understand that. Thing. And that wasn't, you know, I just said the elders agreed. I said, Jim, if that's what you want to do. So we've been, ever since, we've been running up, we, we do an evening service at 5. Mm -hmm. And um, and it's been great. We get those who, you know, can't make the morning. So we'll do four, uh, not counting the language groups. And uh, our Haitian congregation also does a PM service because they have a gob of their people that work in the hotels and restaurants in the morning, but they they meet their needs on Sunday night. So, um, so those are the those are the multiple services that we have, and a highly functioning children and student ministry program on Sundays as well and Sunday night. So, um, you know, and then we do chapel on on Monday with our Christian schools. So we have another. I I told our principal we need to treat that like a worship service, because these students may not go to church. I want them in the sanctuary. I want them, we do the pledge. We have a sermon. I do the middle school. Our student minister does the elementary. Our children's minister, she does chapel for the preschool. But I want our staff preaching in front of the students because I want them to still have a feel for what church looks like, even if they're not going on Sunday mornings. So we do that on Mondays. And we have a strong Wednesday night electives program, multiple classes, life groups throughout the week, and um, and then um, um, and a men's ministry that is off the charts phenomenal on Saturdays, second Saturday of every month. 
we have a worship service for our guys. We have breakfast, and we preached about 60 guys at that. It's a really? phenomenal outreach, uh, but not just outreach, but it's a lot of guys will bring friends to the men's breakfast. But we do a message uh, second Saturday every month. You know, that is actually how my dad got back in church. Really? My dad was not happy I was going to be a minister or that I had a commitment to Christ. Uh-huh. I was raised that way. And uh, he had he had been a nominal Christian at some point in his life. Uh, was not happy I was going to be a preacher. And particularly was not happy I was going to be a preacher in the Christian church. Right. Because uh, his father-in-law was. And he didn't, right. he, didn't, he didn't care for that whole idea. Yeah. And uh, a friend, my dad was always a businessman, and a friend in Selmer, Tennessee, mm-hmm. uh, said, why don't you come to our, we, we've got a, a Saturday breakfast, and why don't you come, it's once a month, and the men cook it. Yeah. We have a little devotional, and they brought him in through the side door. He brought a friend of his in. My dad died in 96. His friend died a, a, about a month ago, and his friend became an elder, and in his 70s started a jail ministry in McNary County where Buford Pusser, the walking yeah, tall chef, yeah, yeah. started jail ministry and baptized over 200 people Man, in his phenomenal. 70s. And uh, and it all through the men's breakfast. That Well, you know this, Tom. You, it, we've got to go back and get the men. I'm yes. telling you, we have too many moms bringing their kids to church without dad. Partly is the feminization of the church. I think, guys, oh, yeah. I mean, I could go off on a tangent on the feminization of the church. We've relegated responsibility uh, to women that clearly in Scripture, God's looking for that leadership position be done by strong, dedicated, committed men. But you can't find committed men because they're polarized or either they've allowed themselves to become, uh, uh, they've marginalized church and their faith, and now they're chasing after the wind. we got to go back and recapture those men, but we got to capture their hearts. So when we started the men's ministry, I told our elders, look, we're going we're gonna to bring them together. But they're going to get a message. Uh, I just felt like I, t- I had too much to say to men. And so it's a 20-minute tw- <laughs> Billy Sunday moment. And, I mean, we cut loose. And, and after we get done eating, and it's the best breakfast they'll find in town. But I will tell you, we have men who will not miss that. And they live that. I love being our men's breakfast. It's one of the highlights of my month. Um, but, uh, but we've seen it grow. And, uh, and uh, just side note. We're doing a men's Olympics called Dudes Day. It's the last Saturday in <laughs> April. It was axe throwing contest, pickleball, four man basketball, and 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 cornhole. And then we're doing a big dinner. But we're asking our guys: you want to play three man basketball? Go get two guys from work. Bring yes. Them. You want to do cornhole? Bring two guys from your neighborhood. I want as many non saved pagan men on this campus that night, and then get us a chance to connect with them. You know, so it's a big. I've even got these cards here. I'll give you one. Right. It's called Dudes Day. And uh, anyway, it's coming up last of April. We're doing every, feeding everybody, and we're going to ward the guy. But we really want to bring outsiders here. But we have a philosophy. All roads lead to the baptistry. So whether it's Hoops Church on Saturday with urban kids, our foster care ministry, Christian school, language groups, outreach ministry to the homeless, men's ministry, women's ministry. They're doing a big, huge walk in the park tomorrow at the lake, our ladies' group. I want network with people, talk about Jesus, get them in the baptistry, and let's start discipling. But if we're, like you said, if we have 55 homeless people in there, and all we do is feed them a hot breakfast, but don't turn over to the gospel, they'll just go to hell well-fed, but spiritually lost. So 
The ticket is get them, befriend them, love on them, let them see Jesus in us, and then point them to the baptistry. And so, all roads lead to the baptistry. All roads. I don't. Whatever ministry we have here, you got to tell me how's that going to get them in the baptistry, and then so we can love on them, disciple them. If we can't, then we got to find to that ministry. I think too often that everything that our churches are doing is inward focused. Very. I, I've, I, I'm, I'm, one of the terms I really don't like is an all church dinner. Yes. I don't like that. Uh, our last ministry we were at for nine years in Tennessee, it was a fairly yes. new church meeting in a farmhouse and when we went there. And we never used that term. Every term was a friends and family dinner, yes. friends and family Thanksgiving, friend day. Everything was how many. And because of these things, people were constantly saying, I've got this friend at work I'm working on. Yes. And it was always on their mind. But yes. if we start saying all church dinner or we're going to have a church basketball game, yeah. no. No, it's it's our friends and family. We're going to bring in those friends, those people who are outside. Okay, so Tom, you know this. You go to a hospital, everybody's crying on every wing. You got death wing, ICU. The only wing at the hospital where everybody's smiling, carrying balloons, getting pictures is the birth wing. <laughs> That's right. You want to excite a church? Stir the baptistry waters. Nothing excites a church faster than going every Sunday. Man, we have another baptism today. Or now, we do baptisms throughout the week. We baptized a guy. He came here. He said, I'm at work. I'm an auto mechanic. I have two guys that are talking to me about Jesus. Dude, you got to get your life right. He walked in here. I had my Portuguese, my Spanish minister, and I last week sit down with him on a, on a Tuesday after staff meeting, walked him through the plan of salvation. He was baptized that day, and our Spanish preacher said, okay, I want to meet you again for one of my classes. We'll get this. So he's discipling. That was a Tuesday, so our goal is look. Let's let's baptize them every day of the week. Oh, sure, every hour of the day. Yeah, but you're right. Nothing brings a church together faster than spiritual growth. But I like where you're going with that. These the, everything we do in so many churches is about the membership. We have a quilting party. Same five ladies been to church since <laughs> the day of Pentecost. Yeah. They wouldn't ever open it up to other people. Put up some nice quilts, though. I mean, oh, they got a nice quilts. <laughs> But I'm like, man, let's open it up, man. Let's, yeah, let's, invite, up. A, uh, let's invite a non-Christian friend to and quilt so with us. while it. you're talking and while you're quilting, you're talking about your faith and, and they're hearing it. I'm just a big, big believer, like you said. That is what brings people together is advancing the kingdom and the lives of unsaved people. If you can get someone who doesn't know the gospel, who's right. never heard it, within within earshot, right? Uh, I, I love to tell the story. Years ago, I used the uh, I used what we call the Jewel Miller film strips. Oh, well, I grew back, up on that. Uh, yeah. Back in the eighties, yeah, I was yeah. baptizing people every night of the week yeah. out in Colorado, and I, I got an invitation to go to a person's home. Uh, a lady and her friend had come to church, and we set up the the, the uh-huh. program. I went through her den. Her husband was sitting there in, in a recliner. I didn't think he cared for me. I <laughs> was in my early 20s. Think, I right? thought, oh, my goodness, he's not happy I'm here, and this is number one. And I had five weeks to go. Uh, after four weeks, I baptized those two ladies. And sometime in the next week or two, he showed up in church and said, I need to do this. Turns out he had been listening right. from his easy chair to wow. everything I said and everything that was on those film shows. And the whole idea is get them in, get them, in, yeah. invite them to the picnic, invite them to the to to the pickleball. Which and then, I'm hearing a lot about that. I have no idea what we, that we is. But on Mondays, right here, and we have people come to this church on Sunday through that crazy pickleball games. Yeah, we we our gym is open on Monday night for 
the community, our people run it, but I'm telling you, it's been a, here that it's been a feeder for our church. But the guy who runs it is so intentional about directing them into the Lord's house. Right. Like, come to pick a ball on Monday. You need to come back to worship. You need to come to our men's breakfast. So again, it's, you have to be intentional, though. I mean, yeah, we have to create an intentionality in our members that when those open doors happen, go through them. Jewel Miller was well, you know, that was a great series because yeah. it, that's when you could get into people's homes. But man, how right. could you not finish that and go? The Bible's valid. Yeah. You know, yeah, it, my dad put our Christian school kids through that. My yeah. father-in-law, my wife's husband, was an elder at Christian church in West Palm Beach, but he would go to homes with that five-part series, man. I used to go out two or three times a week, or three or four times a week, and yeah. sometimes two or three times a night. There you go. With those. And, and uh, they now, were... that was the films or the v- VCR? That, that was actually the films. Oh, I had so to carry I had to carry in the tape player. I uh, carried in the, 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 the screen and everything else, and... <laughs> And uh, there were times that we would get uh, just out. I remember one time a group of Canadians had moved to the plains mm-hmm. of Colorado, and they're working farms down there. And we and they came to our church, a few of them. So we set it up, got to the house, and there there was a crowd, a whole church full, which sometimes can be a problem because yeah. then you get all these different right. views and all. Uh, but it still was great because we were we drove thirty minutes out in the plains to this farmhouse, yeah. and we had a whole congregation waiting right. to to watch these. Uh, silly film shoots where you hear a beep and you yeah. turn, you click it, and you move it to another and the thing. The guy running it better be on. Oh, on you got to be on, you on get behind. You, there's no forgiveness. Oh, it's great to find somebody's old enough. Sorry about that. That remembers yeah. the, yeah, the whole I thing. Remember. Well, uh, I hate to even bring up this subject, but uh, how did you do? Because recently I was with uh, interviewed a, a preacher who was forced out of ministry because of uh, mandates yeah, and yeah. things. How how has your church, you said you're back and we're going right. really strong, but you, let, let's be honest, you've been in a state that's been a little more sensible about things yes. than some of the places where we yes. travel in our ministry. And I agree. First of all, our kudos to our governor. Yes. Governor DeSantis is a visionary. Uh, he doesn't let uh, the left uh, dictate common sense in his administration. Uh, now, this will probably get me in trouble with your listeners, but uh, the head of the Republican Party in Osceola County is a member here. Uh, I serve on the party as the faith-based initiative part, so we keep faith issues and, and and issues that could hinder the church's ability to exercise their faith in front. So I'm very connected in that level. We got political leaders in our church, which I'm grateful for. But yeah. um, we we you know we did we did suspend in in-house worship for about six weeks. Mm-hmm. When it was all going down two years ago, you know nobody knew what to do, and we were all trying to figure we were it all out. Trying to figure it out, we were and it was, and it was all real time, and we were basing everything we knew on Dr. Fauci and CDC. Well, fast forward two years, and that man's moved the goalpost more than anybody that's ever walked on planet Earth. And so we've all been figuring out that the mask really probably didn't do as much as we thought. And and now the shots are not the magic shots. People are getting them and still getting and COVID. So we really had to, look, look, I'll tell you what now, Tom, I'll be honest with you. Um, it was a little touchy uh, with masks because we, we had a meeting and a, a couple of our elders thought, we needed to mandate one service to help people feel safe to come back. This is about a year ago. And then we had a group of elders like, don't mask mandate. It's just let it be an option. You know? And so um, we, they ended up making a decision um, to, 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 for a period of time, like the 930 service, if you come to that, wear a mask, makes people feel safer, and then the other services are optional. And I will tell you this. I stood up that Sunday, the Sunday before we instituted it, and I said to the congregation, I said, look, we put these men in play to lead this church. Sometimes the decisions they make, you might not agree with, but please understand they're making it. 
in the best interest of the entire flock. They're asking, because I wasn't in total agreement with it, but I, I said, I'm in agreement with the fact that elders run the church. Yes, sir. And yeah. as an outspoken, dogmatic, free-thinking preacher, even I have to learn my role. This is the decision they made. We're all going to do it. We're going to do it happily, and we're going to... And I said, but I did tell the elders, please put a, a, let the church know that you'll reevaluate it as time goes on and if the you know, numbers go down. And our church did it. They didn't argue. Everybody found their service. We had people start coming back because they felt safer. And then about six weeks later, the elders said, look, the numbers have gone down enough. Let's waive it. It's your option. And that's where we've been ever since. But. I did. We did agree that we would implement ministries as fast as we could. Get the electives on Wednesday night open again. Get our men's group meeting again. Get they, some groups are still doing Zoom, which I, we, I want to end that as soon as possible. Life groups because we need to. But we we did not sit on the sidelines long. We did about six weeks and we were back in. We did the other every other pew, you know. We everything we could to create a safe environment, but. I, I my, my my line was simply this: the devil did not go on vacation during COVID. That's right. He did not stop. Now yep. we had 125 additions last year, in spite of COVID. But that's largely due to the fact that we found other ways to reach people. Uh, our online viewership went off the charts. But my fear was, online becomes too comfortable. It's you know it does not take the place of in-house fellowship and worship. But I will say that. Um, Partly the reason why we did so well um, is because we did not stop. We, we stopped temporarily, but we got back fast. Right. Same with our Christian school. We provided opportunities for online education, but we stopped it as soon as we could and said to parents, it's time to get back in the classroom. We were very aggressive there. I would think, I like to say that Governor DeSantis and this preacher were as about as aggressive as we both could be in our own avenues. And I think right. that's what helped us get back to the numbers. And we had a full house. The last two weeks, Tom, you couldn't find parking here. Auditorium was both services, full. But I, I tell you, we were just very aggressive about getting back and, and, and not catering to nonsense. I mean, respecting what it was, the reality, because we lost, we lost an elder here. We lost members here. They died. We did five funerals in six days. We were doing this. We were turning them as fast as we could. And so it's real, and I get that. Sure. But I also understand that that I saw stadiums packed. I saw vacationers filling the airport here in Central Florida. Theme parks were full. And I said, well, if the theme parks can be full, football stadiums can be full, venues can be full, why is it we're not full again? Right. Because we're not open. Well, well yeah. let's get open. Right. And let's open up fast and furiously, we did. I've said throughout all this, I don't, I don't agree with the closing down, but I said I've never would second guess elders because I'm not in those churches. Yes. And they prayed about it. And if I was in a church, and they said we're going to do this. I have to, like you, I have to consider these are the men that we put in charge. Right. If, if they're not doing it out of fear for them, you know, right. but they're doing it because they believe this is the right thing. And most churches that are strong gospel soul winning churches. They said pretty quickly, well, this isn't right. Yeah, it, it took us about six weeks yeah. to go, and, and you know what, back, back, this isn't right. And we, do know, and we do know some churches in very strict states that just said, uh, we just were in one in California recently that during the whole time, 
uh, we were there in, I think in January, and the whole time they said, we're not closing down. As a matter of fact, last year when they got real tough, they, they told our partner, Brother Greg, they said, we're not closed, and if you'll come on out, we'll still have our revival. And he went out, and we went out this year, and it's still strict out there, and we had uh, three baptisms yeah. in, a, in a small church. You know what? So, God's still working. And you know, I, I told the church, you know, everybody's talking about cleaning your hands, cleaning your hands. Well, James says clean your hands, but he also says purify your hearts. The job of the church is to keep the hearts purified in contemporary right. America. Our culture is not going to have a purified heart based on how much, how many times we wash our hands, or how many times we wear a mask, or how many shots we get. And I'm, Tom, I, I'm no prophet, but the fallout of COVID-19 has not yet been felt. I'm talking about spiritual. Oh, yeah. There are a number of churches that simply will not be able to rebound. I mean, they were hurt right. before COVID. COVID, they may never be able to officially rebound. And my fear is a lot of preachers I've known are retiring or quitting because I think they just cannot, the thought of, 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 of starting all over again, rebounding. And that I don't want to see that happen, but I'm telling you that the, the emotional fallout of this virus is huge. It is. Huge. It is. And their uh, young man I interviewed from Canada recently said the devil could not have come up with a better plan to divide the church. Oh, I agree. Because I agree. you've got leaders saying we've got to, and you've got people saying I'll leave if you don't wear a mask, or I'll, you know, or if we don't close down. Uh, my my wife's sister-in-law, the church they went to, uh, they they were closed for like eight months. Oh my goodness! And when they reopened, their their worship chairs were six feet apart, and a man and woman were not allowed to sit. A husband and wife were not allowed to sit no. with each other. Uh, it's just that, absolutely, that's, that's, but it, but someone in eldership bought the whole story. Yeah. And, uh, well, and I will tell you this. Our elders, we I, I noticed we had a few that were, tend to be more conservative on the mask and the, and the distance. I had others that were more of, the, you know, the, the governments, this is all a, you know, this is all a ploy. So you had, you had two different camps. So what we decided was that we would not use politics because you could put two guys in a room and this guy. Okay, Absolutely. And we wouldn't even use science because the science changes every day. No. I said, there is no science to this. Whatever Fauci says tomorrow is going to change the next. I, I said, I think what we got to do is operate as take in the perception because that's really what we're dealing with. Not facts or science. Right. Perception. But, but understand that you've got to deal with perception. Try to balance it out. But whatever you do, please, <laughs> I beg them, don't, we're not going to shut down. I mean, if we have to wear a hazmat suit, what? A, but the, fortunately, and we had the every other pew when we first got back, I said, I want those ropes taken down as fast as we can. I, I'll leave them up for a while, but as soon as we get a window of opportunity, get rid of them. Because what they send is that message that we're never supposed to fellowship again. You know, we won't ever connect again. You know, we started hugging as fast as we could again. Because that's how we are. That's how we operate here. That's right. You know, I, I can't let this disease dictate how we do business the rest of our lives. And we're still going to have the flu. We're still going to have people coughing and sneezing long after COVID. But I don't want to shut the church down again. I don't think we can afford to. Well, I don't think we can afford to. You know, we have, as evangelists, yeah. we have so much time on this earth. As Christians, we have so much time on this earth. I'm not shutting down sharing the gospel for two years. I'm not going to do that. Right. I'm going to share. Our ministry stance was this, and our board was was fine with whatever we decided. They they've been real good to let us. They say you're the evangelist. You know, right. we said if uh, even in those first six weeks, if if you want to have us, we'll be there. Right. 
uh, I did a Memorial Day service when they were told you ought not do it. <laughs> uh, the governor said don't do it. The locals said not do it. But the church said we need to do this at the cemetery. And this was in 2020. Right. And we had almost 100 people and a lot of teenagers. And I've said this. Please, listeners, don't get tired of me saying this, I hope. But what signal would we have sent to those kids yeah. about the importance of, of knowing our freedoms yeah. had we shut that down? And that was it. that was just us. And I, I got up just anytime I was in the pulpit and I said, look, uh, if you want a hug, if yeah. you need a hug, yeah. I'll hug you. You right. need a hug without a mask on, I'll hug you without a mask right. on. If, if the church says, put on a mask, Tom, please, I'll tell them, I'll just stay up near the pulpit. Right. I'll put it on when I go to the back door. Right. I agree. I, you know, Paul says, I became all things to all men. Sure. He never sacrificed Be respectful. principles or scripture. I said the same thing. I'd go in revivals. Guys, if you want me to wear a mask, I don't wear it. But right. I'll be happy to accommodate you. I don't want right. anybody not to be here because the preacher wouldn't wear evangelists would wear them. But I said I, personally, that's not how I operate. I don't. Just, let me just say this, and I'm not a I'm not the Lone Ranger. I don't operate out of fear anyway. Right. But I respect. Uh, I respect things, but I don't. I try not to operate out of fear because that's that can cripple you, right. cripple you, and I just don't do that. Walk circumspectly. Absolutely. Know what's happening around you. But, uh, but I respected our leaders. I, I tell you what, looking back, we got through it in a big way. Thank the Lord. Our guys are good. They, I, they wanted to start back as soon as possible. I mean, we all took that, like I said, six weeks off. But the whole time we were taking off, hey, Tom, I just felt a sense of emptiness. I did. I felt like, man. I know. Yeah. We, and this was all real time when we didn't know the extent. I mean, we really didn't know. We were like basing everything on what was being taught us and told us. But I just kept thinking to myself, the early church never suspended getting together. And what I've seen in Ukraine is so impressive. They're still meeting. I know. Moms are going off in the back, and they're still worshiping. They're still conducting school. They're not operating out of fear, because you can't. No, you can't live your life in fear. No. We weren't given a spirit of fear. No, not yeah, right. self-discipline, power, and love. That's right. Boom. Just live that way. And I keep saying over and over it's a point of a man wants to die. We're all going to die. Right, right. So, so, uh, and, and we drive 30,000, 40,000 miles a year. Yes. So, uh, I'm, would I be more afraid of COVID than I am the drivers on American you roads? Be. No, no. Be right, because the roads are far more dangerous in a way. But yet, you can't suspend your life and your ministry. You got to travel. Yeah. I had I, I had to drive here to Kissimmee today. Yeah. I'm going to tell you the truth. That turnpike is a mess. I'm just a small town boy. I'm I would. tell you. <laughs> I tell everybody who travels in Central Florida. The most dangerous place on the planet are the roads in this town. They are the worst. <laughs> Our insurance rates are off the charts high because it's crazy out here. Well, we spent enough time on something that, that neither one of us likes to talk about right. anyway. I I have become more and more aware over the years. I have always have been, but here lately have really been turning my attention to finding and putting to the heart of young men yes. uh, a thought, would God be calling you yes. to preach? And I was excited. I, I don't even know where I heard this, but about what is going on here at your church. What is has just recently, I guess, yeah. really taken starting to take off. So would you share that? About a year and a half ago, I sat down with the with a couple of preachers and I said, "Look, I, I don't want you to think we're just going to start another Bible training school." Which I love those, but it's not that. It's, 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 I want to start something here where we can teach young men the, the art of preaching, but also the art of ministry. I want to take it into development leadership, casting a vision for your church in the community they're in. And, and it starts with knowing the DNA of your community. And, and Okay, so I said what I'd like to do is start a training institute, but also a practical ministry, a 
concurrent internship program with what you're being taught. And I want to teach every young man, um, I want to teach them how to start an outreach ministry to the hurting. I want them to start an inter, the tools to start an intercultural ministry, another language group in your church, if you have language groups in your community. How to start a school. Because if you want children's programs to grow, you got to get family, connect with families. And when we do that is through schools. And we all know the school system in America is horrific. So we can talk about the problem or we can fix it. So I said, let's start a two-year training institute where we train these young men how to lead a church, but also how to create a vision for externally focused ministries. And so I got the idea to say the word advance because I was going to pick my daughter up from school and I saw a big trash truck go by. And it was advanced... <laughs> Advanced Trash Service, and I went, that's what I'm going to call the school, Advanced Center for Ministry, because Paul used that passage in Philippians. We, we do all this to advance the gospel. So we, our text is found in Philippians 1, found it off a trash truck, but it's called Advanced Center for Ministry Training. Tom, the 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 support we are getting from preachers, CRA, I was on that board, those guys were, is phenomenal. we got a great staff of great preachers. Uh, we start next fall. We just hired our director. But the goal is to put young men through a two-year highly, highly, uh, uh, um, it's, it's a hybrid form of Bible college, but it's not Bible college. It's a highly intense two-year program, about $9,400 to get them in and out of here. But to then call churches, and we're really trying to furnish the medium to small churches in America. Those are the ones that I think are hurting the most. And to say, look, we've got a great product here. This young man would do you well. We've trained him. He's ready to go. But he also has the ability to start ministries, effective ministries, to help develop substantial uh, growth and substance within your community. But he's got a good education, too. He knows how to preach. He knows how to deliver. He knows how to study. He knows how to cast a vision. So that's what we're doing. We launched this fall. And I can't wait. We've already had two or three applications come in. A bunch of churches have helped us and jumped on board. And and I, I will say this. This is largely due, not exclusively, but look, our Bible colleges, many of them have lost their vision as to what they were there for. I mean, their sports programs have expanded. They've expanded in other areas of teaching, which in and of itself is okay, but not at the expense of teaching and training preachers. Now, most Bible colleges would say, well, the problem is we, you're not sending us enough preachers. Well, the churches are, what you're sending us is horrible. You know, so, so it's cyclical. And I'm, I'm not, you know, I was a proud board member of Florida Christian College, chairman of the board at Florida Christian. I was on the board of trustees at Johnson University for years. Um, I'm not, I'm not saying anything disparaging except for the fact that the, the model I think that we're using is 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 fractured or broken. And I think it's time to bring it back to the church level. But the church has got to be prepared not just to teach them how to preach, but we're going to teach boys how to cast a vision. Like Paul. Paul would go into a city, he'd understand the city, and he would cast a vision for that community. And that's really what we're teaching these guys. How to cast a vision for wherever church you go to, wherever it is. So you, we're excited. Do you expect mostly young men from this area uh if they should if, if someone should hear this podcast and say okay bible college is not for me i right. want to get in i want to learn how to preach i want to get out and start doing it uh what what's the we're option developing, we're developing uh places to live as well if they come in need housing we're working all that as well right. now, the applicants that we have right now are, are guys who are local who are in careers but want to go into want to go to preaching so they're committing the two years 
here through the, we, I call it the gold standard, is the two-year internship out of here, teach, train you, teach, and move on, or preach, and move on. Then the secondary level would be men, or, or, and if, if a woman wants to take a class on uh, Messianic prophecy, whatever, it really gearing this to guys. Because it really, right. we're trying, we have a sacred literature uh, uh, branch of this for like ladies who want to take certain classes that might help them in their walk with the Lord. But the training is for young men, and it's really geared to the 25 to 30 year old who has a career. But really knows my heart's in preaching. Now we've been told there's a you know you go to these gap ministry preaching and these are young boys out of high school that want to preach but they don't know where to go. Not that right. they're like Louisville's doing a great job. Appreciate Mid South what they're doing. Right. But I said to our, our our team of leaders we need to be prepared for that 19 year old young man. So we are yeah. looking. We're, we're, we have we had one of our deacons. He's giving us his house. He moved to Indiana a few weeks ago. He says, I would love if you let my house become the house uh, dorm, you know, we'll have a dorm dad, but, you know, you got, so I'm, I'm, the, the open doors for this ministry are huge, what God's done in this year and a half, but we do believe that we, we will, we want to be open to that young man, like I was, I, I right out of high school, I wanted to preach, um, so we're, we're prepared to do that as well, and, um, and, uh, but uh, I just... I just, I, I just don't. The model that we have presently, I mean, Cincinnati closed. Lincoln's changing its model completely. You've read that, yeah. Uh, but, but they know the time, signs of the times demand that. We, we right. but that, but I wonder if that was the model really that we should have been using all along. I mean, we're coming back to something we probably should have never left. Yeah. You know. Well, I, I had been saying for years that you know the. the Non-Instrument Church of Christ had preaching schools. Yes, they did, and they used them very effectively. Yes, and and again, not disparaging Bible college, we work under Mid South Christian yes. College uh, uh, under their umbrella, and they're doing a great job. Yeah, and of what I want to be careful that I don't paint because some people do when they say Bible colleges. They're all I, I I would never say they're all missed the mark because I don't think they. I think some have tried to stay very right. true to their task, and so I don't. I applaud them. So I will just say that. Let me say this. Some of our bigger schools, I think, have lost their way. Well, to, it, it's hard to stay on the way when parents are saying, well, I want this. I, I want them to be able to focus. Like my parents told me, well, get a degree you can fall back on. Yes. And I, I told them, I'm not falling back. I I'm agree. going forward. I agree. And I don't intend to fall back. I understand having been 45 years in the ministry now Yes. about about the discouragement. And, I know. But... But you know, let, let's let's Elisha, burn let's burn the plow. Elisha went back, burned eleven plows in yeah. all of his auction. Yeah, and he said there is no plan B. I'm, and and God allowed him to do twenty eight miracles, two more, two third, two times more than Elijah, who's counting, right. and sixty years of successful ministry. So our goal is, boys, burn the plows and 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 don't look back. Right. Um, you know, if something happens, you end up getting out of ministry. Fine, God will open up something. I'm, I hope. But if he wants you to preach, you better preach till he calls you home. I agree. By the way, that's my Sunday morning sermon in Tampa this week. Is it? <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> Why Elisha? Uh, and about great, uh, how the church needs to burn their plows absolutely. and roast their cows, Amen. their traditions and things that hold them from doing what they uh, need to do. What a great! And, and I uh, did a whole series on that here. I, uh, that it to me is, is such a great story. Yeah. But God is. blessed him when he did that. Yeah. When he cooked everything. Yeah. And by the way, 
Uh, they've done a study of where Elisha's farm was. It was in the breadbasket of the Transjordan areas. It wasn't like he was farming some, some ground that wasn't producing anything. And generally, if you had one yoke at auction, you were doing okay. He had 11. Yeah. So he had the John Deere market. That's right. right. But he wanted to serve God more than anything else. Well, let me ask. We're, we're kind of winding down sure. here. Got a few minutes left. But a question that I like to ask people, and we've probably hit on some of it already, uh, and, and this is, I'm going to ask this as kind of a, uh, if you can break, break it down to three parts or put it all together, what do, you, what do you see in your view as the greatest challenges facing the church as a whole, individual Christians, and or the ministry going forward from today? You can take one of them, all three, okay. however you want to do that. Um, I, but the latest, I just sent the article in last week. It'll, be, it'll probably be in the June issue of the Herald because we're three months behind. It was called The Next Great Awakening. And so I, I, you know, I shared how Jonathan Edwards and Whitfield in the 1730-1740 created what was the Great Awakening in the, in the colonies. It was before America was established. But their revival was so intense. I think it spilled over into helping form our nation because in the 1776, I think there was this passion for God and for Judeo-Christianity. But I think that started 40 years before the Founding Fathers actually kicked it in. So I said, I think post-COVID, the, the debacle that we saw in this last election has forcing churches across the world to pray for another another great awakening. We, we have got to, we can't lick our wounds forever. We're going to have to look back at our auditoriums and say, okay, We've got classrooms, auditoriums, and baptistries that need to be filled and stirred again. We need another great awakening. So I'm challenging preachers to, to make a commitment. When I travel and preach, make a commitment. Your congregations make a commitment to advance the kingdom at all costs. Yeah. I mean, I'm not talking about one hour on Sunday. I'm talking about immersing your families, your churches into thinking, eating, and breathing advancing our church right now wherever you're worshiping what is it going to take to advance that church in that community and to the point of nausea to what you wake up thinking advance the kingdom advance the kingdom advance the kingdom and it's going to call for this kind of incredible um unapologetic devotion to advancing the kingdom because we got time we got to make up for a lot of lost time um to the preacher it's do not let secularization and contemporary culture and the woke movement in this country dictate your messages and how you view the world. To me, contemporary culture is calling for churches to marginalize their message, to minimize the role of transcendent truth. And I'm telling you, we have got to reclaim transcendent truth as a focus of our message. That's the preacher. The church advanced the kingdom, advanced the kingdom. And um, I think if we, I've already started seeing a revival in our country. I'm watching average citizens start running for school board because they're taking their school boards back. Well, it's time for the church to, to, to claim its rightful place in the community. Yes. It's the, it the greatest part of any community is the church, I think. I mean, great joy came to Samaria, Acts, Acts 8, verse 8, when the church was established. Great joy came to Samaria when multitudes of people came to Christianity. So I keep telling our people in Kissimmee, Kissimmee will be a great place to live if the church finds its place. We are yeah. the, the greatest institution in the city is the church. So that's my plea. But I want this church to be an example. Uh, 1 Thessalonians first chapter, 
Achaia, uh, the church of Thessalonica was an example to Achaia in, in Macedonia. And I tell our church all the time, I want this church to be the church other people look at and go, okay, they get it because we're kingdom-minded. We advance right. kingdom every day here through the school, outreach. Every day I want this church to be doing something kingdom-wise, doing something to advance the kingdom every day, not just on Sunday. So, With that vision, uh, you, you might be want to move here so I can go to church here. You know? <laughs> Tom, but, I'm following you. I think I should follow you. But, but you know, to get out of Florida, because our ministry has always been a driving ministry, right. you know. And because a lot of churches we go to, they don't have the equipment that we need for the uh, projectors, you yes. know. They're, they're, now, a lot of them now have gone to TVs, and we're, but we go to a lot of rural churches and things. And right. so we, uh, the nearest airport, it, it's just, just as cheap for us to drive to oh, Pennsylvania so. as it is to fly yeah, there. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, so to get out of Florida, to live here and get out of Florida to go to my first revival, I don't, I don't think I want to do that. <laughs> But I I really appreciate the time you've taken. I know how busy you are because no, I, no, I, I do no. see your schedule. And I also appreciate that I, I see you uh, post pictures of time with your daughter and out having a good time. And I, I always appreciate I, that. My, my daughter's uh, softball game, first home game tonight, 4.30. You know, I will plan trips. You know, I had to cancel a trip because she was getting the National Honor Society last year. And I just called uh, one of my appointments and I said, I can't fly out this, this today. I missed... I missed when she got one award because of COVID, and I'm not going to miss it. You know, and, and look, every preacher has to make a decision. I mean, we can gain the whole world and, and or, or gain the world for Jesus and lose our own family. I want to do yeah. that. And I know people say, you're always gone, but I will tell you this. My wife goes with me when she can. She's a nurse, so you know their schedule's kind of crazy. But I will tell you this. When I'm not preaching, my, 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 my hobby is my family. I don't golf. Yeah. I don't fish. I just hang out with my kids and my wife. But I will tell you, they've been very good about sharing their dad, and they know how serious I am about what I do, and I try to tell them it's not just something I do when I'm, it eats me up, it consumes me, I'm, this is who I am, they know that, but I will, I'm blessed because they're so much a part of what we do here too. Yeah. And, um, you know, my middle daughter, she's moved, but with her husband, anyway, I do love, uh, love being around them and doing stuff with them, and so we try. Well, I'm going to try to do something with my wife who always travels with me as soon as I finish here. Uh, you got some great trails right over yes, here. Yes, we do. And we've ridden one of them before, and we've got our, our recumbent trikes with us. Good. And so we're going to check into our motel. Good. We're going to hit the trail this afternoon, and then... We've got a, great trails. Yeah, you got to go around the lakefront. Oh, yeah. Please take Lake Toe. It's a block up the road. You will love that. Okay. Well, we're going to... Uh, uh, that may be the one we're looking okay, at. Good. I don't know. We're just staying, we're we just staying a few miles from here. And, okay. And we've and, got... You know, we've got the trail, uh, the, 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 the uh, kayaking, and the, the, the bike trail out there. Reedy Creek, which is just about four miles up. My daughter and I just... I, that there. may be the one that yes. we're hitting. We've done we that We just one. went there a couple weeks ago, my oldest. And uh, we're going to do that tonight. I'll probably do it again in the morning yeah. and then head off to, to get Tampa. set up at East Tampa Excellent. for... Uh, what we hope is going to be another great revival with Excellent. some great people. But, um, I, again, I do appreciate it. I know it, you took some extra time with me because you're trying to get ready to go. Oh, and, no, no, I'm fine. And, and I'm just blessed and excited to hear what you have to say. And I, I want to say to those who've been listening... If this podcast has been a blessing to you, I hope that you'll share it with your friends and co-workers in Christ. And until next time, this is Evangelist Tom Weaver saying goodbye, and may God pour down his blessings on you like a Mississippi rain. <laughs>